Welcome to the Give Back Economy, a podcast about social innovation and social enterprise. Now with your host, Peter Miller. Good morning. And today we have an interesting gentleman from an interesting organization, David McDonald. And welcome, David. Thanks, Peter. Great to be with you. So David runs an organization about ministerial innovation, and I'm not going to pronounce it, so please introduce the name of your organization. Yeah, it's pronounced Fasares. It's the Fasares Chapter House, and it's the world's first headquarters for Christian ministerial innovation. Okay. So David, let's start with your academic experience first. Sure. Yeah, I've been a uh, college professor and a seminarian for, oh gosh, maybe 15 years. Uh, I've taught at seminaries all over the world in uh, Vancouver, Canada, Seattle, Washington State, uh, Portland Seminary, most notably that's where I've done most of my work there in their doctoral program and some in their graduate program too. Uh, Spring Arbor uh, University in Michigan, uh, Tabor College in Kansas, couple of spots in uh, London, England, Germany, and Berlin, and also in, uh, in uh, Cape Town and, um, and Pretoria, South Africa. And, and typically when people want me to be involved, they're either looking for my perspectives on the, the Pentateuch, particularly the, um, uh, the proto-mythology, like the first 11 chapters of Genesis, uh, or they, they want me to talk about innovation in Christian ministry. You know, how do we make our church services more exciting? How do we connect with young people? How do we reach out and engage uh, our community in a way that makes sense to them? And, and uh, I've been doing a lot of that stuff for a long time. I really enjoy it. And in um, 2000 and I think it was maybe 2015, 2016, uh, I was awarded the first ever postdoctoral fellowship in Christian ministry through Portland Seminary. And Leonard Sweet and I ran a preaching cohort uh, for three years where we uh, introduced the idea of, of preaching as story uh, to a group of doctoral candidates from across the theological and cultural spectrum. And that, that was a lot of fun. That was a lot of fun. So you've been educated all over the world. Yeah. Where, where, uh, where did you work during all this time period? Yeah, you know, I was a pastor the whole time. I mean, you know, uh, always I've been, I've been an adjunct or I've been a guest lecturer in these places. Uh, so since 2005, I've been the lead pastor at West Winds Community Church in Jackson, Michigan. And prior to that, I was working in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada for my dad at Calvary Christian Church in Surrey, BC. And um, church, while it doesn't doesn't make anybody rich, it does uh, it does give you a great home base and a home platform to do lots of other exciting things. So, David, let's talk about the name of the organization, where that came from, and what's yeah. the purpose of the organization. Yeah, there's a, a really slender window in church history that, that when you dig into it, it's really hard to find information about, uh, but it's, it's really fascinating. So during the Roman persecution of the church, when Christians were being hunted and killed and having their property seized, they often met for church services in the catacombs. And because the catacombs were, you know, disgusting and stinky and smelly and disease-ridden, the, the Roman centurions and legionnaires wouldn't often follow them in there. And the pastors of these congregations began to work as grave diggers above ground and in the catacombs so that they could expedite the process of parishioners going in and out. 
And not all grave diggers were pastors, of course, but but all pastors, more or less, became grave diggers. And so the Romans gave them a nickname of Fasares. And a Fasares is a really ugly bug. It's a sand wasp. I have I have a taxidermied one here on site at the property. And it was their way of saying, we know what you bugs, what you cockroaches are up to. Some of you are pastors. When we find out who you are, we're going to squish you. So it was a really derogatory name. But these Pasarians are, are the inspiration for what we do now because they, they blended seamlessly their day jobs as grave diggers. Um, and then also their holy calling as clergy. And also they're the uh, artisans that decorated many of the catacombs um, with frescoes and carvings. So we say that our work is, is bringing together the undifferentiated wholeness of art, work, and faith. And, uh, and so that's, that's the, our namesake. And uh, the, all the Fasarians disappeared from church history shortly after Constantine came into power, within 100 years of Constantine coming into power. Because um, as the church was legitimized, Constantine slowly replaced these pastors with you know, princes of the empire and different political cronies. And then they got into all kinds of nasty turf wars. And, and the, the few and the good and the noble were quickly replaced or removed by uh, the corrupt and the power seeking. So it's a beautiful, beautiful story and, and very, very rare. And what's the purpose of the organization now? That uh... Yeah, we train creative pastors. So we do a retreat on site once a month, um, which you can always find details on our retreats on the website, sorrychapterhouse.com. And then we also run an online school that's in beta right now and a release uh, in the broader public within the next two weeks or so. And then we run online cohorts through Zoom. So we run a new cohort every month. They last for three months. We have a new course that's published through our school every month. And those are up in perpetuity. They take anywhere from two to 12 hours to complete at a variety of price points. And then, and then our onsite retreats, which are the, the really, really fun stuff. We also have a podcast and a publishing division. We'll publish our first two titles next year with more to come. And it's, it's fun, man. It's really fun. So do you have a team, David, or is it just you? <laughs> no, I, it's just me. It's just me. So if you have any other idiots out there that want to volunteer their time like I am, I'd love to meet them. <laughs> Excellent. So talk about funding and the importance of partnerships. Yeah, I mean, funding is a trick. We we bought this old Victorian mansion, my wife and I, and started renovating it, um, really with just the help of our friends and family. And we divided it up into um, you know, bite-sized pieces. And so some people had trade skills that they could offer. Some people just had a few free hours where they could come and clean out trash because the place was totally you know dilapidated inside. Um, but really, we wouldn't have been able to do anything without the generous partnership of, of donors. So we had, you know, dentists and uh, therapists. We had other pastors in town, a couple of key organizations, um, doctors, lawyers, people who had means that really believed in what we were doing and allowed us to get up and running so that we could start hosting pastors. And then, of course, not a lot of pastors make a lot of money. So we've been able to provide scholarships through our donors as well. And um, honestly, we wouldn't have been able to have any of the fun we're having if it wasn't for them. So does your wife play a role in what you're doing? 
a very small one. She works full time as a local elementary school teacher. And so we made an agreement before we embarked on this big adventure that her role would be um, keeping our children healthy, sane and fed, as well as holding down all the domestic duties. And my role would be wearing all these extra hats. So she's been a huge support uh, emotionally, but she doesn't participate in any of the, the things that we do either online or on site, except, and this is hilarious, she really likes doing the laundry, which I don't understand at all, but she, that's the things that she really wants to do. She goes, I can't be at the things cause I'm working. Um, but if you'll let me, I'll take care of the bedding and the towels, which is just, uh, yeah, I think you get immediate sainthood when you volunteer to do a laundry service for strangers. That's so as I understand it, she earns the money and you spend the money. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, well, we both earn the money. I still I still work as a pastor full-time, but yeah, yeah I, I certainly spend it. That's for sure. <laughs> okay. So, David, where do you see this organization three years from today? Yeah. Uh, three years from today, I think we'll be doing the same thing with greater reach and greater efficacy. Ten years from today, I anticipate opening a second chapter house. And then 20 years from today, 25 years from today, I'd like to have a half dozen chapter houses all over the world. Because cross-pollinization is, is integral to healthy, holy creativity. And if you've got a chapter house in Cape Town or in Buenos Aires or in Vancouver and you can start moving back and forth between them, uh, then you're going to see a lot, a lot more of a global brand or a lot more of a global voice to Christian spirituality. Um, and certainly we're in a time where they, the Christian dominance, so to speak, of the Western world is waning. And we have a lot to learn from our African and Asian brothers and sisters about fervor, about passion, and about theology. I mean, there's incredible theological work that's being done in non-Western cultures that if we can get a hold of it before we lose the healthy things that we already have in place now, I think we're looking at a spirituality that's far more robust, far more biblical, and more enjoyable um, for, for the future. So do you have any examples of graduates from your program who have done some innovative programs or events? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we typically, we attract people who are already doing creative things, and then we release them sort of with new energy and vitality to go back and do even more. So we have uh, people like Dave Walstead, who you've um, interviewed, I think, already on your podcast. He's got a book coming out through our publishing house called uh, Shift Best Practices for Christian Ministerial Innovation. And that whole book is a handbook on how to revitalize and reinvigorate your church ministry. we got really high-capacity creative pastors like Corey Knott at Custer Road United Methodist Church in Plano, Texas, uh, or Jim Mueller, uh, who, who's at Messiah Lutheran Church uh, just outside of uh, St. Louis. And these guys are absolute powerhouses for innovative preaching and innovative missiology. So we've had just about 400 people participate in our programs over the last two years, and uh, it's exciting to see what they do. So are any of these programs on your website? Because if they were, the advantage would be that they could be replicated in different communities. You mean like the, the, the specific ideas of what particular people are doing? No, not yet. No, not yet. Right now, because the chapter house is so so new, we're still trying to keep up with the good things that we're doing, let alone all the exciting things everybody else is doing. But that's a good suggestion. 
Well, I mean, what you're building, David, is an alumni. Yeah. And the alumni uh, could help some of the new people coming in. Yeah. And they, have... they could be your mentors. Yeah, we do have two means of facilitating that kind of peer learning and mentorship. The first is through our podcast where we'll interview all the guests that come to the house and share what's going on with them. So our next podcast episode interviews Nathan Oates, who's a very creative pastor in, in uh, Sacramento, California. And he spent um, several months living with a group of Benedictine uh, monastics in Italy and was sharing what what's happening in, in his own church and in his own spiritual journey by learning from a very different tradition. So in the podcast, he kind of gets a chance to, to mentor everybody from a distance. But more significantly, everybody who comes to the chapter house gets sorted into one of four guilds. And these guilds all have uh, leaders, guild leaders, and they all have guild ledgers and memberships. So, for example, if you're a worship leader, when you come to the chapter house, you get sorted into the Phoenix Guild. And Phoenixes are all the people who do with uh, media and technology, anything to do with worship, anything that's ascendant. So when you become part of that guild, you get every other participant in that guild. You get all their contact information. You get their email address, their real email address, not the baloney ones that everybody has. You get their phone number, and you, you get and you make a commitment that if somebody from the chapter house calls, if another Fasarian reaches out, that, that you'll help them for a minimum of 15 minutes and a maximum of three hours over one month. So they become mentors. Absolutely, yeah. Okay. So having said all this, you only have one chapter right now. Yep. And uh, there's no reason why you couldn't have another two in the next three years. Yeah, just money. Money and personnel. Okay. Well, money is number four in terms of importance. Well, great. What are the first three? No, it's, it's, it's management and it's passion and those kind of things. Hmm. And I can send you some information on that because that's my area of expertise. Oh, great. So having said all this, what is the location of your website? Could you please spell it out slowly because it's a... A big name. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Fasariaschapterhouse.com. F-O-S-S-O-R-E-S-C-H-A-P-T-E-R-H-O-U-S-E.com. Okay. Well, look, I, I know you're tight for time, so I'm going to respect that. And thank you for uh, spending this time with us. Hey, my pleasure, Peter. God bless. Okay, take care. Cheers.